Hello fellow surfers, welcome to the Yehovah Podcast by Stand on Scripture. My name is Taylor Stewart, the host and founder of Stand on Scripture. And if you're wanting to just learn a little bit about myself, you can check out the website www.standonscriptures.com. On YouTube, you can search up Stand on Scripture. Or on TikTok, you can go to Stand on Scripture at stand on scripture and twitter it is at stand scripture without the on in there that's if you want to find me on the social networks but with that said let's get into today's podcast episode one yeshua is not yehovah here is the proof so we're going to start off and some of this you probably already heard but there's a lot more added to this first Let's look at Luke 2, 52. It says, And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and people. I mean, logic would assume that, well, he's not God because he's increasing in wisdom, he's increasing in stature, in favor with God and people, but God is God. He doesn't need to increase in anything with anyone. So just using like logic, uh, mind that God has given us, we can explicitly see that Jesus is not God just with that verse. But a lot of people need a lot more than that. I don't know why, but let's keep reading on. So when we go on to the initial kind of start up, we have Second Corinthians 5 verse 19, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their wrongdoings against them. And he has committed to the world, uh, to us the word of reconciliation. So Yeshua is not God, but God is in the Messiah, the Christ, bringing the world back to himself, which is God. So God is doing this through Christ. We know that this himself is a singular third person. And talking about the third person common singular, and we see that that person is literally one person that is in Jesus when we go on with these, um, you know, reading the scriptures, starting off with Acts 2 verse 22 in regards to the correlation to this verse of 2 Corinthians 5 verse 19. Acts 2 verse 22 correlates, showing that the, it says, men of Israel, listen to these words, Jesus of Nazareth or the Nazarene, a man who was attested by God, with miracles, wonders, and signs which God performed through him in your midst, as you, you yourselves know. So it's not the man, Jesus Christ, that is God, but it is God that dwells in him, doing the miracles, wonders, and signs. But that's not all. When we read John 14, verse 10, again, correlating, do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father he remains in me doing his works or does his works. So God is the one doing miracles, wonders and saints through him. God is the one that is in Christ Jesus, reconciling the world to himself. And it is the father who is in Jesus doing his works. Do you see what I'm getting at now? The only one that's being indicated as God, as a himself, doing all this to bring everyone back to him. It's not Jesus as God doing this. We can continue reading in Isaiah 11, verse 2 to 3. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. 
a different person. The spirit of Yehovah will rest on this person, which is prophetically talking about the Messiah, but probably was talking in the immediate sense of um, someone at that time. Um, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of Yehovah. How can you fear yourself if you are Yehovah? We'll tap on this a little bit more later on. And he will delight in the fear of Yehovah. And he will not judge by what he, um, his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear. So again, the spirit of Yehovah is resting upon him. And that God is in him doing the miracles, wonders and signs. And it is the Father who is in him doing these things. In John 12, verse 48 to 50, we see furthermore. In Starting from 48, it says, The one who rejects me and does not accept my teachings has one who judges him. The word which I spoke, that will judge him on the last day. For I do not speak on my own, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a command as what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father told me. So we again see the Father telling Jesus what to say. So it is the Father um, speaking through Jesus, doing the miracles through Jesus, doing the works through Jesus, doing the miracles, wonders and saints, you know, all of this, it is God who is the Father bringing everyone back to himself. Now, in Acts 17, verse 30 to 31, although God overlooked the ignorance of the earlier times, he now commands all people everywhere to repent, which means to do a U-turn, to turn from what you're doing now to change. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. So he... God, a third person singular, is going to judge by the man, the world by with justice by the man he's appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So God is going to judge the world through the man um, that he's appointed. Not that it's, um, again, we see that the father is doing the things by the man. And the man is able to do it because God gives him the authority. God is doing it through him, therefore giving him the ability to do it, which is obviously the authority. Not that Jesus by himself could do these things, which we know he can't do these things on his own. Let's continue in Romans 2 verse 15 to 16. So they assure that the work of the law is written on their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts either accusing or defending them on that day when God judges man's secrets through Christ Jesus as proclaimed by my gospel. So we see the man who was appointed that was resurrected is Christ Jesus. And notice as well, people like to use the argument say, well, Jesus knows the hearts, the searches the hearts and knows the hearts and the thoughts yes because god is in him doing it so obviously jesus is going to do it since god is judging men 
his their secrets and thoughts through Jesus. So obviously Jesus is going to do it if it is God in him doing it through him, the man. Let's continue. John 3 verse 34. For he who God sent speaks the words of God. For he does not give the Spirit sparingly. So again, God sent the Messiah and speaks through him. God's words are spoken by the Messiah. So do you see all of these abundant verses like shown that God does everything through Jesus. He's bringing everyone back to himself. He's doing the miracles, wonders and sayings. He's doing the works. He's um, speaking. He's commanding them what to say and how to say it and judging the world through the man that he's appointed and he's judged. Like all of these things are being done by God to reconcile everyone to himself through his Messiah, his uh, Yeshua, his salvation. In John 8, 40, it says, but now, and this is Jesus himself, Yeshua Mashiach, actually bringing people back to him, um, sorry, bringing, uh, bringing the truth of who he is. Yeah, sorry, went a little bit off there. But now you are trying to kill me, a man. So he's given this truth of who he is. You are trying to kill me, a man who told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham never did such a thing because he never went around killing people that spoke God's word. And we see Jesus calling himself a man and that he hears from God. Not that he is God doing these things, but he hears from God. And it's always God the Father doing these things. Deuteronomy 18 verse 17 and 19, we see Jehovah speaking. The, and Jehovah said to me, they have spoken well. I will raise up a prophet from among their um, countrymen um, like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak everything that I have commanded him, and it shall come to pass uh, or come to be about that whatever um, whoever does not listen to my words, singular person, my words that he speaks in my name, and we'll be talking about that a little bit later as well, this him coming in my name and such, but we'll leave that for later. But this, um, this other person that God is putting his words in, he speaks in my name, I myself will require of him because God is speaking through the Messiah and it's the words that the Messiah speaks because it is God speaking through him explicit verses consistently all over the Bible, not just like one place, but all over the Bible that God is calling, uh, seeing this anywhere, seeing about how he will do this in Exodus, uh, sorry, Deuteronomy, my apologies, and foreshadowing in Isaiah and such, uh, bringing the world back to himself. Now we see in John 5 verse 30, it says, I can do nothing by myself. This is Jesus himself. I can do nothing by myself. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, because I do not speak. Um, I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Father, not my will, but your will be done. So, because he's a human, he didn't want to die, but it's not his will. He will go to the cross for the will of the Father. He did. He was obedient unto death. So, again, 
He does nothing on his own. These are words of the Messiah explicitly. If we are to hear Shema to this prophet, to hear what he says and abide by what he said. Remember in Deuteronomy 18 verse 15. And whoever does not listen to my words that he speaks, I myself, God, will require it of him. So if we're ignoring what the Messiah says when he explicitly says that it's the Father, the Father, the Father, the Father, the Father, doing all of these things. It is the Father doing the works and miracles, wonders and signs and all of this and that he is a man that hears from God and that he says about himself, I can do nothing. I only judge uh, um, as I hear my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. So again, it's consistently the Father who is God. He is simply the um, servant of who God is. Now, when we read in Matthew um, 24, verse 36, here, um, what's it say? Heaven and earth will pass away. And we see this abundantly in the Bible by way in regards to the law, but that's another topic for another day. Heaven and earth will pass away, which is talking about Revelation 21. But my words will never pass away. No one knows about that day or hour. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So why is Jesus not knowing the day of his coming, the second coming, yeah? That, that end time, no one knows of this time except for the Father. Only the Father. Why Why not the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit not able to know this plan? Because um, it's supposed to be a separate person that, to the Father. That's also equally God. The Holy Spirit Trinitarian version seems to be getting left out a lot. Why isn't the Holy Spirit? able to know the hour if it is co-equally God. I understand with Jesus being a man um, at this point, that's why. But why not the Holy Spirit? Why did they leave the Holy Spirit out here? Because it is the Father. The Father is his Holy Spirit. So no one knows except only the Father. And we see explicitly Yeshua HaMashiach's own words in regards to God John 17, verse 1 to 3, Jesus spoke these things, raising his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you, just as you have granted him or given him authority. Yeah, granted him authority, given him authority over all mankind so that he may give eternal life to those that you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ is who you have sent. So the only true God is the Father, and the only true God sent the um, Christ. Not that the Christ is um, God. It wouldn't make sense for that to try and merge them together with everything we've just literally been reading, to try and put one thing, uh, put to know that you are the only true God and I am type thing, which is what Augustine tried to say, oh, this is how it's supposed to read. One of the church fathers saying it's supposed to read that they know you and the Messiah are the only true God. That's what he wanted it to read as. But he even stated, well, it's not that, it's actually stated that the Father is only the true God, but he wanted it that way to make it look like there was a trinity. So Jesus um, speaking explicitly his own words that the Father is the only true God, not um, any trinity, but the Father. 
And then we read on in John 4, verse 23 to 24. But a time is coming, and this is Jesus' own words, and even now has arrived, even the, um, sorry, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him, or to be his worshippers. God is spirit, and to those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So, the true worshippers worship the Father in spirit and truth because this is what the Father seeks to be his worshippers. And we see the only true God is the Father in John 17, verse 1 to 3. And we've just seen that. True worshippers worship him. In John 20, verse 17, again, Jesus' own explicit words, clear as day. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go instead, tell my brothers... I am ascending to my father, my father, and your father, my God, and your God. So your God is the father, my God is the father. The true worshippers worship the father in spirit and in truth. The only true God is the father in that it is God who is dwelling in Jesus, doing the works, miracles, wonders, and saints, reconciling the world to himself. And it's the father that is in Jesus as God doing these things. How many, how many more like verses, explicit, clear, straight to the point do we need to actually come to the point and go, actually, do you know what it is? Maybe the Trinity is wrong. Maybe it's wrong. Why do we not have this? Is there a blindness? Is there a fog over their eyes? Only people that truly love God that are seeking him will see this. Only those that hear the words of the Messiah and follow, you hear his voice, you will um, come after him, yeah? So, I mean, I've already shown that the Father is God calling people back to himself, that Jesus is a man and that he himself said he is a man that heard from God and that he has a God and is the Father and the disciples' God is the Father and that is always the Father doing these things. Let's continue. Let's see more things in regards to the Old Testament. Um, in Isaiah 49, verse 5, to eight prophetic things in regards to Yeshua Mashiach. And now, says Yehovah, who formed me from the womb to be a servant. So Yehovah saying this about Isaiah, who formed him in a womb. Uh, but it's prophetic about, I think it's um, about Isaiah, but prophetically about the Messiah. To form me to be um who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back. Um yeah, sorry. So this is in immediate um sense, I believe, talking about how um this actually it's taught more specifically about the servant to bring Israel back. But this is prophetically taught about the Messiah who is formed in the womb to bring Jacob back, that Israel may be gathered to him. For I have honoured, so I am honoured in the sight of Jehovah, and my God is my strength. He says, is it, uh, it is not enough for you to be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob, and to restore the protective ones of Israel. I will also make you a light to the nations to bring my salvation to the end of the earth. So this is obviously now talking about just the Messiah, talking of, um, prophetically of him. Thus says Jehovah, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who is, um, was despised and abhorred, 
abhorred by the nations to the servant of rulers, kings will see and rise. Princes will bow down because of Jehovah, who is fearful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. This is what Jehovah says. Now, how can you be chosen if you are Jehovah? But it's Jehovah choosing Jehovah. That wouldn't make sense. But Jehovah's choosing this Messiah, this one that is going to be doing this. This is what Jehovah says. In the time of favor, I will answer him. And in the day of salvation, I will help him, uh, help you. I will keep you and appoint you to be a covenant for the people. And this is how it's talking explicitly and, um, and prophetically about the Messiah. I will make you to be um, a covenant for the people to restore the land to a, and a, to a portion its desolate inheritance. So again, we see explicitly talking about the Messiah and that he is a chosen one, a servant, bringing back Israel to Jehovah. Well, wouldn't it say back to yourself or ourself or something like that? If it was ever indicating to Jesus being Jehovah, it wouldn't make sense. If it's talking of him consistently as a servant of Jehovah and that God is doing these things um, by his servants. So, when we read in Isaiah 42 verse 1, it says, Here is my servant who I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. My, I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nation. Talk about the Messiah and we see how this correlates almost word by word just slight differences in Matthew 3 verse 17 it says listen and a voice from heaven said this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased what did it say in Isaiah this is my chosen one in whom my soul delights slightly different but pretty much the same thing this is my beloved son this is my chosen one in whom I am well pleased in whom my soul delights so this is talking about a servant, the Messiah, the servant of Yehovah, yeah? And it's Yeshua HaMashiach himself, the Messiah, a servant of Yehovah. And we continually read um, that the main parts that are um, quoted are that this is my chosen one, yeah? And that this is my beloved son. And it goes Showing that it's about the Messiah, take notice that also a key point is God has a soul, yeah, in whom my soul delights. Um, and this word, who my soul delights, is nefesh, which is the exact same word we see in Genesis 2, verse 7, which indicates to the singular person. Then Jehovah, God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. Then the man, or and the man, became a living being, or nefesh. So, when, when in Isaiah 42 verse 1 it says, My soul delights, my nefesh delights, and we only see one indication of a nefesh, and that is literally a singular person, um, a man, obviously all other human beings have their own, you know, um, their own nefesh, their own self, their being, their person. That's literally what it translates to. So God is literally a nefesh, a singular um, existence, a being, not 
three persons in one being, but one person, the Father. Yeah? And it can't be Jesus because it is my soul, my nefesh, delighting in him, my chosen one. So what is he saying, therefore, my soul delights in a part of myself, a part of its own, like, what makes up, it's one third of what makes up um, this nefesh of God, this being of God, or this person of God, because that's what it can be, you know, a being, a self, a person, and so on. It wouldn't make sense unless God is literally one person, speaking of a different person that his um, God delights in the um, good things that this Messiah has done. So, wait, Yeshua is a minor servant of God, and God is doing the miracles, wonders, and signs through him, explicitly bringing back everyone to himself. We see that God is um, a spirit, and his word comes out forth from him. We see that in Isaiah 55, verse 11. We see that uh, the person um, of God is the Father, his self um, of Jehovah. What uh, And what he is, is his spirit and word. He is his speech. He is his word. He, he swears by himself. Yeah, his, um, He is spirit. His word proceeds out of him. So what he is, what the Father is, is his word and spirit. That is the Father. Not um, two separate parts that are distinctly different and separate to him. No, it is him. Yeah, And he swears by himself. Genesis 22, verse 16. Um, not in a plural person, but a singular well, I can understand by philosophy of men that Jesus can be seen as some kind of a God, but um, because he is uh, has the same name like of the word, he's got a name of the word, which could be talking about him, his authority is the word, the um, or his name or reputation is the word. It doesn't mean that he literally is pre-existent as God's speech, but in God's thought which is obviously the thought expression um utterance yeah he exists within it and he's sent out into the world by god speaking him into um being so when we move on we look um consistently more abundantly we've been going for how long how how long have we been going for 27 minutes of just pure clear explicit verses Let's go to um, Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So he's born from a woman. He's a human being, not a God-man, because that's totally contradictory. The two natures contradict each other, yeah? But a perfect man that was born into the resurrection um a human being through the second man life comes in genesis 22 verse 18 it says and in all your seed uh, sorry in in your seed all the nations of the earth um shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice 
And we see how this aligns in Galatians 3 verse 16. Now the promise were spoken, promises that were spoken to Abraham and to his seed, he does not say and to seeds, plural, as one would um, in referring to many, but refer rather as in referring to one and to your ones to your seed that is christ so again we see a seed of abraham a seed of um mary um the uh, uh, born from a woman seed coming from um from david it's a man a con consistently a man yeah notice abraham's seed is not pre-existing him in Deuteronomy 18, verse 17 and 19, speaks of a man who comes after being raised up. Everything points to him. Um, the future tense, the only verse Trinitarians would have, um, like before Abraham was, I am. Now, some Trinitarians say it um, says before Abraham was born, I am. And the born put in there, but what it says in the um, John eight fifty um, John eight verse fifty eight says in the in Alinea, say, um said to them Jesus truly truly I say to you before Abraham was I am now the, the word can mean born and such but it in the in Alinea, it's read as such not born but was yeah um. And there are this is um this is how many other verses that may indicate to um born. Yeah. The Berean Study Bible, the BSB says born, the NESB says born, the NIV says born, the NLT says born, the NET says come into existence, the ESV says born. So you've got what six there, six um different ones, and there's two which are you could argue either way, the Young's Literal Translation and also the ISV, like before there was an Abraham, I am. So you could argue maybe it's either way. But then when we go to the other translations that say just before um, Abraham was, I am, is the ERV, the HCSB, um, the KJV, the ESV, um, and the Bible, the Bible hope in Alinea reads as was, I am not born. But I mean, you can use that word was as born technically, but they've translated it as before Abraham was, I am not before he was born, I am. But even if he, if it was that stated as before Abraham was born, I am. Even if it states that, are you sure that it's not talking about God? in his plan before Abraham even existed in God's thought, Jesus was? Well, you could argue that, and it would make logical sense since God foreknows and predestines even us to be like him, yeah? And maybe that's why the Genesis 1.26 is prophetic about how um, Jesus is the one man that is like God and that he makes man, the spiritual man, in their likeness and um when he's speaking like us let us make man because it's through jesus's blood that we are resurrected 
but it is only God doing the actual creation. Yeah, it's like a paint are creating through um paint and onto a um, canvas. God does it through the man. And it could be prophetic about that. And there's many other arguments, but rather than waste time going through loads of different arguments in uh, Genesis 1, 26, I believe it's more in um, predominantly talking about, um, it's prophetic about the second creation. God, he created man in his image and likeness, but that we is talking about through this man, Jesus Christ, through his blood, that way it will be resurrected. That's my um, actual um, stance on it. It's prophetically about us. Not that it, it pre-exists, but it is through Jesus at that time in God's plan that he's going to create through the perfect man. And I can prove that he never pre-existed in 1 Peter one twenty. It says, having been foreknown indeed before the foundation of the world, Having been revealed, however, in the last times for your sake. And that's in Alenia. So foreknown um, indeed before the foundation. So God foreknew of the person and the event before this came into being. Yeah. Now, if we look at, um, if we say, oh, well, this, it actually doesn't say he. It's not talking about the person that was pre-existing in um First Peter um, one twenty. Then just go to verse nineteen, and it indicates to Jesus and the event. Um, but by this precious blood of this Lamb, without blemish and without spot, it states of Christ. So it's talking about the person and the event. Seems to indicate to the event and the person, the Messiah, which is Christ, and His blood and sacrifice and that is how the um, translations translated in first peter 1 20 it um and these other verses as he so the inner linear of um, bible hub the bsb version he hcsb version he nasb version he so it's he was foreknown KJV, who verily um, was foreordained, so who is talking about the person. NIV, he. NLT, God chose him. ESV, he. ISV, he. ENET, he. Um, ESV, who. ERV, who. So it's talking about the person more predominantly as the person he was foreknown. Um, and the event, obviously, because it's about the blood in the verse beforehand and of Christ, he, boom. And that's how they were translated. And um, many of the other translations say foreordained or foreknown, such as the ERV, ESV, NETISV, KJV, NASB, and um, ESV, talking about foreknowledge, knowing of him and the event of this before all things yeah before foreordained so as you can see he who was foreknown and the event of his sacrifice is um if this is the case and god knows all things then 
when we read things like Jeremiah 1, 5, and it says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Did Jeremiah pre-exist, literally? Or maybe God in his knowledge knows of people before he creates them. Before you're in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you, appointed you as a prophet to all the nations. So we see Jeremiah is known before, was um, and was he was formed in the womb. Does this mean that he's um, pre-existing as God or an angel of some form? No. In Romans 8, verse 29 to 30, again we see, For those who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Genesis 1, 26. Our likeness in our image is foreseeing the event of the um, death and resurrection, and it is through the blood of the Messiah that we are resurrected into eternal life. For those that God foreknew, the, those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And he, uh, and those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he glorified. So not only are we predestined, to be like the Messiah who overcame this event, the resurrection, that we will also be glorified just like he was into eternal life. So some people would um, say this indicating a foreknowledge, okay, it's just talking about um, just an event and such. It's not really what you think it is because look at John 17 verse 5, he clearly pre-existed which we see explicitly throughout all of these verses, God knew of the event in his knowledge. Jesus is just saying, I know that I had this with you before all things began, because all things are in your thought. What you say, I believe in that. Yeah, He believes in the promises, so it's as if he has still got them. He doesn't doubt God. He doesn't doubt this. And again, Having this foreknowledge, everything exists in God's mind and will be to his will, regardless, yeah? Where am I? Um, but let's move past this. And now to those um, who are many brothers now, likely to be millions and billions or billions of those who are born by the resurrection, where being foreknown, it indicates from the death to be re, um, predestined uh, that who are predestined by the resurrection to be glorified, to be brought up just like he is by God's foreknowledge. Just proving it is um, birth of the resurrection from the dead, which correlates Colossians 1 verse 18. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. That's how he is the first and the last. Yeah, it is all related. Everything in God's plan is based around Jesus from the start to the end. 
be all, end all. That's why from the first word to the last word, it is about the Messiah. That's why there's so many um, similarities about um, Jesus Christ and God, because God has literally got Jesus in his plan and basically bringing everything to himself through um, that plan. So don't forget, the start of this video or audio, if you're hearing this as a podcast, that Yeshua himself only speaks what God says, and he is a man that does as God commands him. And that he speaks what he is told and commanded, and God did the miracles, wonders, and signs through the man as you yourselves, knowing that is the Father that is dwelling in him, doing all of this. Let's continue. In Psalms 91, verse 11 to 16, and this is more about sense, making pure sense. In Psalms 91, verse 11 to 16, For he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you in all your ways. On their hands they will lift you up, so that you do not strike your foot against the stone. You will walk on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the young lion and the serpent, talking about the Messiah. Satan was saying, didn't God say that he would protect you in all your ways and so on and so forth? Talked about the Messiah, tempting Jesus, yeah, growing. Did he not say this about you? So when we see God speaking here in verse 14, because he, talking about the Messiah, which we've seen, has loved me, I will save him. Well, we know that as the Messiah because he was the one that was um, resurrected from the dead, saved from the um, grave. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. But we're there. He has known my name. I'm going to set him on high, basically over all creation, but under God. I'm setting him on high because he's known my name. Well, if he is Yehovah, that wouldn't make any sense whatsoever because he is Yehovah, isn't he? Let's see. He will call upon me. And I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him in the, and honor him. I will satisfy him with a long life and show him my salvation. So he's not seen of salvation, but he's going to be shown it. And he knows of these things. He knows of the name. And he's set on high because of this. Well, that's kind of no point, isn't it? It's a no point if he is Jehovah. Obviously, he knows Jehovah's name. He is Jehovah. And obviously, he knows what salvation is because he is also that salvation. But he's sure, God is saying, I'm showing him my salvation. It makes no sense at all. Now, when we move on in um, Deuteronomy 18, verse 17 and 19, and Jehovah said to me, they have spoken well, I will raise up a prophet for them from among their fellow countrymen, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will speak everything that I command him. And that it shall come to pass about that anyone who doesn't listen, does not listen to my words, that he speaks in my name, where, not his name, it's not a Trinity's name, it's your name, my name, that this prophet, which is talking about the Messiah, and we'll get on to that, is speaking in my name, not that it's his name, and we've just seen that, because he knows my name and that he speaks in my name. I will myself will require it of him. According to Deuteronomy 18, we've just seen that 
he's coming in the name or he's speaking in the name of God. And in um, Psalms 91, we see that he's been raised up because he knows my name. That makes no sense unless Jesus is not Jehovah, but he comes in Jehovah's name and he knows Jehovah's name. Yeah, and we see how that correlates Deuteronomy 18, um, verse 17 and 19 about Jesus in Acts 3, verse 22. Moses said this, um, Jehovah will raise up a prophet from among your fellow countrymen to him you will listen in everything you will um, that he says to you. The verses beforehand is talking about the Messiah. So he will know my name because he knows my name. Sorry, I will raise him up. He will come in my name and speak. And if you don't listen to him, God will require it. So when Jesus is explicitly saying who God is, the only true God is the Father, but Trinitarians ignore the word of God, that God is speaking in the Messiah. The true worshippers worship the Father in spirit and in truth. God calls all people through the man, Jesus Christ, to himself. He judges through the man. He does all this stuff through him, not that he is God. And we read in Isaiah 11 verse 3, And he will delight in the fear of Jehovah. So now not only is he being raised up because he knows the name um, of God, but he's coming in the name of God. Not that he has the name, but he comes speaks in my name. Yeah, Jehovah's saying this. But he's also going to have this fear. He's going to delight in the fear of Jehovah. Why are you fearing yourself if you are Jehovah yourself? You've got nothing to worry because you're not going to have judgment upon you, are you? If you are Jehovah, you're not going to judge yourself to damnation. Or he's got a fear for Jehovah because he wants to be perfect so that he doesn't be um, judged to hell if he was to have sinned, but he didn't. By the fear of Jehovah, you are made perfect, yeah? Because you wouldn't want to do something that's wrong. So he will delight in the fear of Jehovah, which would make no sense if he is Jehovah. He will not judge by what he says um, or decide by the ear. Yeah, so he's risen up because he knows the name of Jehovah. He is speaking in the name of Jehovah and he fears Jehovah. Because he's not Jehovah. Logic. This is just logic 101. Right. So we see explicitly that God is in Jesus doing the miracles, wonders, and signs and works in the man Jesus. And that Jesus clearly says that the Father is alone, the true God. And we have to hear what the prophet says, which is the we've seen is Jesus. That we have to hear what he says and obey. Well, if you're worshipping the Trinity, you're not obeying what he says. As as I'm going through the points, that the Father is alone, the true God. The true worshippers worship him. And that's what God seeks for these true worshippers to do. The disciples, um, God is the same God as Jesus. And that Yeshua doesn't um, have the name, but he um, knows the name. And he comes in the name of God, which is why he is blessed and set on high. How then is Yeshua, Yehovah our God, the creator, if all these scriptures and his own very words say, the Father is the only true God, and Yehovah, um, this Yehovah, he himself says, 
he is a man and Jesus himself calls himself a man that hears from God. How is he Jehovah God? I listen to my Messiah. I'd rather listen to my Messiah rather than men's traditions. What else, just quickly, does the Bible say about Jesus? Two verses, and then I may take callings at the end, um, but not put it as part of the um, podcast when I upload it to podcast sites. First Timothy 2, verse 5. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So there's one God and there is one mediator between God. It doesn't say one man, does it? There is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man. So the mediator is a man between God and man. It doesn't say there is one God and there is one man, the man Jesus Christ. You know what I mean? He is the one media who is a man of many men. But there's only one God, which clearly destroys the Trinity. There's one God and there's one media between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who is that one media. Not a God. And then finally, Ephesians 1 verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, so the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, so he has a God, he's consistently God, God is not God, who has blessed us in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So what do we see here? We see that the Father's reconciling the world to himself. We see that the Father is doing the works, miracles, wonders and saints, um, in Acts 2 verse 22 in John 14 verse 10 and Jesus says that he is a man that he has from God and that he doesn't speak on his own but the father commands him what to say and that is God's judging the will through the man he's appointed and that Jesus consistently says the father is alone the true God and that God is commanding what to say and um, that the true worshippers worship the father in spirit and in truth Everything points to demolishing the Trinity. Makes no sense. It's satanic. But if people want to uh, believe that, that's their choice. All I can do is bring explicit verses, not all oh, the similarities. I'm talking about explicit verses from the very mouth of the Messiah himself. And if we hear, we should obey. Because if we don't listen to what the Messiah says and obey what he's saying, then God is going to require it of us for ignoring what he says. So be careful with that. Thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. How Yeshua, Jesus Christ, is not Yehovah, but is the Messiah sent by Yehovah. If you like this, please check out the websites such as www.standonscriptures.com or go to YouTube and just search in Stand On Scripture singular go to tiktok at stand on scripture or you can also check twitter just at stand scripture without the on and you'll be able to find me there please join the community and if you go onto youtube you'll see a lot more links in the description of the videos leading to other places i also have a facebook but just go there and you'll see all of the links thank you very much i hope you were edified by this and i'll catch you in the next podcast this is series one episode one yeshua is not yehovah 
but he is the Messiah. Peace. Shalom.